All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here today. My name's Jeff, and I'm going to be spending a few minutes with you as we continue to dive into God's Word. We're looking at Matthew chapter 2 in this current teaching series called Star Wars. How many of you guys have enjoyed this teaching series? You guys like it? It's creative, right? Come on, it's fun. It's a good time. And it should put a smile on your face, some of the fun things that we've done. It's okay, by the way, to smile at church. All right. It's perfectly normal, by the way. And it's perfectly normal to laugh at church. All right. And it's, it's, gr- it's great for you to come and walk away, you know, feeling like, man, that was well worth my time. I loved it. You know, but our purpose here at New Life is to, first off, uh, we want to we wanna expose God's word and the truth that's found in it so that we can apply it to our lives and walk out of here, you know, taking God's word and make it, making it applicable to us. <clears throat> but as, along with that, we also want we want people to experience God's spirit. And so what we do here throughout everything that, you know, we inspire to accomplish and, um, you know, create and, um, and organize, we want people to experience God. So although we might have fun and create funny videos and do different things like that from time to time, our main objective is for you to experience God and to worship God. And that's exactly where, where we're at with this teaching series. Uh, the, the star war, following the star to Jesus. It's what the wise men did, right? I mean, if, if, you've, if you know anything about the Christmas story, you know that the wise men, they followed the star to find Jesus. And in week one and two, just to recap for us, the wise men are in the east. So maybe where Iraq or Iran is currently right now. <clears throat> that's where they dwelled. That's where they lived. That's where they studied. And for hundreds of years, they had had a prophecy Uh, that had been given to them about looking for a star and they had held on to that and so for hundreds of years they were looking for this star they were uh they had possibly been groomed and taught and trained by one of um one of the prophets in the bible called daniel and these are things we discussed in week one and two if you missed it please go to mynewlifechurch.com and you can watch those sermons we archive them there so that way you can you can be a part of this entire teaching series this teaching series is only three weeks long so to go back and catch up is only going to take you about you know an hour and 15 minutes to watch two sermons um the wise men, they decide, they see the star and they decide to make the journey. And to make the journey meant that they had to put together their whole entourage. Uh, we, we learned that from history that uh, there would have probably been more than three wise men. We get three wise men because of three gifts that were given. Uh, we, that's just our simple you know, math that we put together there. But that doesn't make it biblical and it doesn't make it true. Uh, wise men were powerful people. They had a lot of authority. They would have been well-respected. They would have made a journey that would have taken months and months. That meant they probably would have had servants with them and definitely some soldiers to guard all of the treasure that they're bringing uh, with them, plus just to guard their own personal lives. They follow the star that leads them to Jerusalem. They don't know where the baby is born. They don't know where the king has been born. They meet with King Herod, though. Um, King Herod has met with his religious leaders. The religious leaders have told him in another book of prophecy, of which the wise men in the east probably didn't have, the book of Micah. Uh, in that book, it tells him that, yes, the king is going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. So they're full of joy. They follow the star from Jerusalem, five miles south to Bethlehem. And that's where we find these guys. <clears throat> these wise men have warred against faith the entire time. To have to have the faith to believe that they're looking for a star, to have the faith to know that they found the star, to have the faith to know that they're making this journey that's going to cost them a ton of money to make this journey. 
that they're doing it for the right reasons, the faith to know that when they show up in Jerusalem and nobody's celebrating the birth of the king, they're to their surprise. Can you imagine it? They've traveled all this way and no one's celebrating the birth of the king. They still had to have faith. And then all of a sudden they're told, oh, he's five miles south. That's probably what you're looking for. And when they leave, the star shows up again. They're full of joy. It's been a faith journey the entire time. And now they stand at the threshold. They stand at the doorway. And on the other side of the door is the king that they've journeyed all this way to find. That's where we find them at this very moment. Can you imagine what they feel like as they've made this long journey after all of these months, after all this time, after hundreds of years of study, and they stand at the threshold and on the other side of the door is the person that they've come all this way to worship? Can you imagine what that would feel like? It's hard for you to even wrap your head around it. Because for us, if you want to get from one major city to another major city, you want to go from New York to Moscow, you can do that in one day. You can do it in less than a day on a plane. You know, but to get maybe into the jungles, the back country of a place, go up a river, okay, so that might take you a longer period of time. But for us on this planet, we can get from one major city to another major city in one day, no problem. For these guys, man... This was a big task. Can you imagine how they felt now that they're standing there? That's what we've come to. That's where we're at right now in Matthew chapter 2. We're diving in to verse 11. Come, come on the journey with me. Here's what it says. It says that they, the wise men, they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, hold on. Before we even get anywhere with this thing. In your nativity set, there are three wise men. So, you know, because of the three gifts, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. Cool. But when you got the wise men, you got the wise men at the where? The stable. Where is it that the wise men show up to in this passage? The house. The wise men, they show up to a house, not a stable. They show up to a house, not a palace. They show up to a normal house, nothing of royalty, nothing of majesty, nothing that screams there was a king on the other side of the door. They showed up to a house. And a lot of biblical scholars believe that the house they showed up to, it wasn't even their house. In fact, it was the room that they were originally looking for, which would have probably been an upper room or an additional room added to someone's house in Bethlehem. This was the room they were looking for when they came to Bethlehem in the first place. And it said that there's no room in the inn, so they had to go stay in the stable. Well, they're not in the stable, obviously, anymore. They're in a house, a house that's not theirs, a house that they're occupying a room, renting a room from. And notice something here. The wise men and all their entourage, they show up, and the Bible only refers to Mary and Jesus being there. Where was Joseph at? Is he out working? Is he out supplying for the family? What's going on? But you only get those two that are there. It kind of takes your whole nativity scene, doesn't it? It kind of like tosses it up in the air. You felt so good about yourself. You're like, man, we got the nativity scene. We've got the center of Christmas right here. I, am, I apologize for destroying all of that, all right? That was not my intention. Please, maintain the nativity scene. Continue the attitude in the heart of worship. It's about Jesus anyways, amen? 
All right, there you go. There you go. So here these guys are, and they're standing here. You know one of the things I love about these wise men? Is that the wise men, they didn't question the location of the house. They didn't question the surroundings around the house. They didn't question the appearance. They followed through, and they bowed down, and they worshiped. You know what? That, that's because that they, they were having to war against something. They were having to war against consistency. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, they arrive in the city of Jerusalem, and they start asking the question, hey guys, seriously, we've come all this way. Where is the king? Where's, where's he at? Where's he been born? Right? We, wanna, we saw his star, and we've come, and they, they use this word. They say, we've come to worship him. And when they said those words, we've come to worship him, it says then in some of the next verses that King Herod heard this. He was disturbed as well as everyone in Jerusalem, they were disturbed. Why? Because the wise men, these men of, of esteem, these men of power, uh, these, these men that had these diplomatic authorities, these men of authority themselves, leaders of leaders, they've just said they've come into Jerusalem to bow down and to worship, to devote themselves To worship would mean literally to lay prostrate before, to lay down on the ground and devote themselves, surrender themselves to this new king as a baby, Jesus. And that caused people to be disturbed. Because, number one, who is this new king? And we have a king, and his name's Herod, and you never know how he's going to respond. But the word that they used in verse 2 is the same attitude that they come back with in verse 11. They come and they're consistent. They do what they said they were going to do. Now, none of you guys have any of those kind of problems of saying you're going to do something and then, you know, never following through. I'm pretty sure that if you guys say you're going to do something, it always gets done, right? Come on, I'm just looking out at this crowd, you know, looking through the camera into North Platte, which, by the way, welcome, glad to have you guys And everyone down in the venue, we're glad you guys are worshiping with us. But, you know, you guys are the kind of people, if you say it, you're going to do it. No, you're like me. Sometimes you say something and you don't follow through with it. Because we're human. These guys, they said they were going to do something. They went on this journey to do it. And then they actually follow through and they do it. They worship him. And they didn't, they didn't let the circumstances, they didn't let the appearance of this normal house, they didn't let the, the atmosphere of this place, of it doesn't have enough royalty for us, it's not nice enough, it doesn't have enough stars to it. We're typically, you know, accustomed to staying in five-star places. This is definitely like a one-star place. They didn't let any of that stuff stop them from worshiping the king. But for you and me sometimes, if the circumstances aren't the way we expected them to be, if things don't turn out the way we really hope for them to turn out, then many times we'll back out or we'll give up. We walk away. Like in the Star Wars movie, since this is Star Wars, I'm going to use a Star Wars analogy. In the Star Wars, episode five, you know, the Empire Strikes Back. Come on. That was a good one. You know, when I was a kid, man, that, that movie rocked. The Empire Strikes Back. In that movie, Luke Skywalker, he wants to give up. He wants to give up on his training. He's flown his fighter. He goes and he finds Yoda. He lands it. It sinks into the swamp. He can't get it out. Yoda's trying to teach him how to do it. He's like, 
he's trying to raise it. And he's, you know, he's getting weak and he's getting tired. And finally he looks at Yoda and he goes, you know, what you ask is impossible. It's impossible. I can't do it. And he goes over and he, you know, he sulks in some little corner of the swamp someplace. Yoda's there and you can see the wheels inside of the character spinning. You know, what should I do? Should I help him? Should I go talk to him? What should I say? How should I handle this? And then Yoda just stretches his hands out to the swamp and all of a sudden the water starts to shake and the fighter jet rises up out of the water. And that's just a movie, so don't get all excited about this. Fighter, the fighter jet rises up and it comes, you know, across and the music's playing and it's a dynamic moment. It's awesome. It comes flying across and Luke Skywalker sees it. He comes walking over and the fighter jet lands on solid ground right next to him. And Luke says these words, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And Yoda looks at him and he says, that's why you fail. Because you don't believe it. One of the things that let the wise men win is that they never, they never failed in their belief. From the moment that they saw the star to the moment before that when they believed that a star would come. And then they followed the star and they packed up all their gear and they made the long journey. They never gave up faith. And when they showed up to a city of Jerusalem that wasn't celebrating a new king that had been born, they didn't give up faith. And when they had to meet with a king that they didn't know what attitude he was going to have that day, strike them dead or let them live, they, they continued with faith. And then they come out of the meeting and they see the star and their hearts are full of joy. Why? Because their faith had been rewarded. Their faith was rewarded. They maintained their faith. That's why they won. That's why they're so successful. That's why they followed through and they did it. So follow through with what you know is right and what you know is true, no matter what the circumstances look like. No matter whether it's just a plain, ordinary outcome of a house with a room that they all have to try to crowd into and eat up all of the square feet just to worship this baby, Jesus. Which, by the way, when they showed up to worship him, it wasn't this little innocent baby that they would just hold in their arms and he was asleep the whole time. When they showed up, when they showed up at this moment, Jesus was a toddler. A toddler. So picture it with me. They show up, right? They kneel down. They bow before him. He's a toddler. What does a toddler do when these wise men bow down before him? Who knows? Nobody knows. Toddlers will do anything. Did, he, did, he, did they run up to him? Did he grab, grab the beard of the wise men and pull it and laugh at him? Did he try to go over and sit on their lap? Did he get scared and run, to, run back to Mary? Or did he sit there and go, yes, you have come to worship me. <laughs> like every good toddler would, right? I am the center of attention and I know it. And I'm going to put my little show on now to let you know. That I'm the center. See, to them, whatever you think that they expected, how could they even wrap their head around this whole scenario? When they, when they left months ago, and they traveled hundreds of miles, how could they have wrapped their head around the fact that the star was going to come over the top of a house? And they were going to cram into a room, and they were going to bow down before a toddler. 
They didn't let that stop them. They stayed consistent in their worship to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if Jesus, the king, as a toddler, was good enough for these wise men to worship, how much more is the Jesus that you and me know today? He's a great and powerful king, worthy of our worship. They didn't know Jesus, the one who had given his life on the cross and was resurrected from the grave and sits at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to say, go get your church. They knew Jesus, the toddler, and they gave it their best consistency in worship, there is a great reward in that. Maintain your, your sight on Jesus. Don't lose sight of him. In fact, in a while when our worship teams come, bow down like the kings did and worship him. Use the front of our auditoriums and use the altars and come and bow down and worship Jesus. There's times when I physically bow down. God's looking more for the bowing of the heart, the humbling of the heart, But there are times when physically we need to bow down or we need to lay out before God. Why? Because there's a humbling that needs to happen in our lives. And if God's the one who's calling you to that worship, then you come to him and you worship him that way. It was good for the wise men after all of that journey not to stand before him and go, (laughs) high five, hey, we got it right. Look how smart we are. No, they came and they humbled themselves. Men call us wise, but no one is as wise as you, Jesus. Where's your heart today? Is it consistent in its worship? Follow through. You've made it here. Now follow through. It would have been a shame for the wise men to make it to the house and go, uh, you know, I don't know, man. You guys, did you guys picture this, this house kind of concept in your head? Because I didn't picture that. I pictured more like a palace. I know the star we've, we followed, it led us to this point, but you know, maybe the star's wrong. Let's go find a better place. It would have been a shame. It would be a shame for you to walk through these doors today and to come into one of our auditoriums and to worship, to say, I'm coming to worship God today, but yet really come just to fulfill some spiritual checklist of your own heart. Come with the attitude of bowing down before him today. Surrender yourself to Christ completely today. The wise men, they also had to war against greed and generosity, though. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, let me take you back there again. It says that then they opened, after they bowed down, then they opened their treasure chest and they gave. They gave it all. They freely gave him gifts of gold, that's awesome, frankincense, and myrrh. And they just gave it to him. I mean, think about this. They've carried these treasure chests for hundreds of miles and for months. These treasure chests were full of great value. From a biblical historical sense, it's gold, all right? Gold is worth a lot. Is gold still valuable today? Absolutely. Who would like to have a treasure chest of gold? Okay, there's a couple of you that don't want it. That's fine. We'll split it amongst the ones that put their hands up, all right? There you go. Now, come on, let's get real serious. Who would like to have a treasure chest of frankincense? And no, kids, I didn't say Frankenstein. And myrrh, come on. You can't hardly live without it. In those days, though, frankincense and myrrh were highly tradable. They were of extreme value and used 
and, and exchanged and traded with one another. These three gifts had amazing value to them. And the wise men, they had a long time to consider whether they were going to give those gifts or not. They, they started out months before this packing them up. And then they traveled all these months, but yet they still gave the gifts. And they didn't give the gifts out of a compulsion giving. And they didn't give the gifts out of, oh, look at the, oh, look at the little toddler Jesus. Look how cute he is. And pulling on the heartstrings. I was just going to give him a satchel of gold. Go get the whole treasure. Let's give the whole thing to him. No, they already planned to do that. And they didn't give, you know, like, well, Jesus, Mary, you guys are, you guys are living in this little room. You guys are living in poverty. He's a king. You know, we're going to, we're going to help the poor. It'll make us feel better, by the way. We can't, we can't travel all this way and not help the poor. They didn't give out of any of those circumstances. They traveled all this way and they gave out of a heart of generosity. You know, I, I don't, I don't even want to admit this to you. But you know, there are times in my life when I've sensed, and even recently, there are times in my life when I sensed I was supposed to give financially to something or to someone. And I didn't do it. Now, I know you guys have never had that happen to you. So I'm humbling myself, just admitting something that you've probably never experienced. But if you have experienced that, and you know that feeling of, I knew I was supposed to give financially to that, and I didn't do it. You, you know how that feels long term. You're like, oh, I missed that moment. But what about the feeling of, I know I'm supposed to give to something, but you know what? I, I'll do it later. You know, like when I get home, I'll write a check, we'll send it. Or when I do it, when I get home, I'll get online and I'll send it. You know, have you ever had that happen where you thought to yourself, I'll give later? And then you didn't give later either? I've had that happen. It doesn't feel very good. But that's not what happened to the wise men. The wise men determined in their heart, because they gave out of an attitude of worship from the heart, they decided in their heart months ago, we're going to give all of this away to the king, no matter what he looks like, sounds like, no matter where he lives, no matter where we find him, no matter how long it takes us to find him, even if some of us lose our lives, we're going to give this gift away, because in their heart, they had already decided it belongs to the king. Months later, they were able to physically give it. It's a good lesson for us. When we sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us about giving, let me encourage you like I'm encouraging myself. Let's do a better job of seizing the moment. Don't let time go by. Because when you would let time go by, you might be like me, and you just all of a sudden you go, well, I, you know... I can justify why they probably don't need it now. It's been a couple of months. The need's probably gone. You know, I'll I'll wait for the next opportunity to come. That's what I'll do. You know, see, that's more of an act of obedience to God than it is really God taking your money and using it for something. Our first act of worship when it comes to giving is obedience to God. What did you sense God say to you? Because if you don't give, it's not that you're robbing this you know, it's not that you're robbing uh, you know, this offering or this missionary or your tithe. It's that you're robbing God. And the wise men, they gave and they overcame greed and they gave it away. They, over, they overcame, you know, generosity and they just followed through and they gave. They just kept giving and giving and giving of themselves with no obligation, not expecting anything in return. They just came and they gave themselves away. You know the cool part is? If you read the story, you continue to read the story, you realize that 
an angel comes to Joseph and tells Joseph, Joseph, after the wise men are gone, Joseph, it's time. Pack up your family. You got to head to Egypt, man. It's a dangerous moment getting ready to happen because Herod has now sent the troops and they're coming to Bethlehem and they're going to kill. He's going to execute all the boys that are two years old and younger. Well, guess what came in really, really handy for a journey? I mean, a little gold that always helps in a journey, doesn't it? A little frankincense and myrrh, especially if it's tradable and you can get all kinds of wealth and you can trade it for, you know, a house, you can trade it for, you know, transportation, you can trade it for um, food, you can trade it for whatever you need to trade it for, you can trade it and use it. Isn't it interesting that God knew what Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were going to need before they even knew to ask for it? I think that's pretty cool. Now, if God knows what they're going to need, I believe God knows what you're going to need. God knows what you're going to need before, before you need it. My encouragement to you and me is, let's practice the giving, the giving heart and the giving lifestyle that the wise men practiced, and let's let God take care of our needs. Let's trust that, God, you've got my back. God, you're, you're, you're looking out for me. Now, is it going to turn out always the way you think it should? No. I'm sure that when, you know, Joseph and Mary first looked at these gifts, they probably had other ideas, like, oh, Finally, we're going to get out of this rental. We're going to buy our own place. This is going to be awesome. No, they had to spend it and use it on other things to survive, to get through a time period so that the plan and the purpose of God could be done. That didn't work out maybe the way that they thought. And when it comes to finances, many times we think God's going to have to do it this way, the way we see it best. God might have a different plan, and you're going to have to trust him. You're going to have to walk with him. But let's come, let's come to God like the wise men did and let's follow through and let's give what we sense God told us to give. And don't push it off for another day. The last thing that the wise men had to, had to war against though was unity. I mean, come on, it's a group of people all working together. Unity is a tough thing. I mean, when you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, it says that when it was time to leave, They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. These guys traveled all the way there, and now they got to travel all the way back. Now, as a leader who leads people, let me just tell you, getting everybody on the same page and going one direction, sometimes it feels kind of like herding cats, right? Like you got a few of them going one direction, and then you got two of them over here playing around, messing around. You got to get them back in the group, and then by the time you get them back in the group, someone else has drifted away. It's like herding cats. Now you add to that this dynamic of one of the wise men saying, Oh, by the way, God told me that we're not supposed to head back the same way. Have you ever been in those situations where someone said, God told me, and you're like, Well, good for you. Glad God told you, but he didn't tell me. You ever been in those moments? Can you imagine? Here's these wise men, one of them. Let's say wise men number one, the main leader. Wise men number two, the associate. And then wise men number three, the one that goes and takes care of all the monkey work, you know? The wise men number three all of a sudden says to the group, guys, um, I believe God spoke to me. I believe that we're not supposed to go back the way we came. (laughs) Oh, man, come on. Ah, seriously. I mean, come on, you're still in training. What, what's going on here? Getting people on the same page, especially when it's a moment when you, you need God to speak, that's a difficult thing sometimes. These guys maintain they fought through the disunity and they fought for unity. 
And there's a number of things that they, that they probably practice because any group that's going to be successful in maintaining unity has to practice these same basic things. So let me extrapolate from this passage of what a group would have to wrestle with if they're going to maintain unity, just like us. We are a group, and we have to maintain unity. Unity requires, first off, trust. You have to have trust. The wise men had to trust one another when the first person said, I don't think we should go back the same way we came because I've had this vision, I've had this dream, God spoke to me. Then the other ones had to feel the same way. They had to trust one another. Just like you, you have to trust a life group leader. You know, that's maybe you, you meet at their home, you have to trust them that they love you, that they care about you, that they're working you know, their best to disciple you and to help you grow. You have to trust a pastoral staff. You have to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit. But as a leader, if you, if you aspire to be a spiritual leader, then you have to understand this, that you have to be extremely careful not to do things that would burn trust. Now, as a pastoral staff, we might do things that you don't like, but we, we, we should work our tails off to not do things that burn trust. Liking maybe something that happens versus burning trust, those can be two different things. And so we have to work hard to do that. But first, we have to trust each other. That's what these guys modeled. That's what we have to model if we're going to fight against unity and maintain it. Make sure that we have a unified heart amongst ourselves. But there's other parts to unity as well. Unity requires us to be sold out. Sold out to the common mission. What was the common mission of, of the wise men? I think it's summed up in three quick, easy statements. Find the king, worship the king, and tell others about the king. They modeled the first two. Can you imagine having gone on this whole journey and then getting back and not telling anybody about the journey? Can you imagine going through this whole thing and then going home and then not telling anybody about the king that you just worshipped? Can you imagine that? I can't. And I don't think you would. I've heard many of you go on journeys and then you come back and you're like, oh, let me tell you what happened. Oh, you got to, oh man, you just got, oh, you should have been there. This was amazing. That's what they probably did too. They're, they were sold out to the common mission. Find Jesus, worship Jesus, and go tell others about Jesus. And I would like to say to you, if that mission was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Let's be sold out to the mission. Find Jesus personally. Worship Jesus, and then go tell others about Jesus. If, we're, if we could just be sold out to those three simple things, find him, worship him, tell others about him, we could do a lot towards maintaining unity with each other. But you've got to have this common mission. That was theirs. I, I love it. I would just say, let's keep living out their mission here on this earth 2,000 years later. But unity also requires us to value the strengths the abilities, and the differences that we each have. So I can only imagine that one of maybe the wise men, if we just go back to the classic picture of the three for a moment, um, it, one of the wise men maybe had skills to read the stars and to navigate, while another one had skills to, you know, remember and uh, remember the written history and different things, recall all of that. Maybe while another one had the gifts, skills, and abilities to communicate because they did meet with dignitaries and kings, and there was a lot of communication. Can, I can almost see each of them having unique gifts, skills, and abilities to pull off the mission. Just like our church. Our church, we got to have people with different skills, talents, and abilities to pull off the mission. I'm doing one of the mine right now. 
I'm doing one of the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And as I look into this, this church and I speak to you know, North Platte and to even down into the venue, one of the things you need to realize is that each of you have a gift. Each of you have something to invest. Each of you have a way to help us accomplish the common goal of our church. Find Jesus, worship him, and tell others. There's a lot of Sunday school classes for children that are happening right now. There's a lot of teenagers that need adult leaders just to kind of be mentors and you know help them out there's a lot of tech that happens around here we need we need right now i mean right now we could use 20 more people on our tech team right now even if you don't know what you're doing we can train you we need them right now we need people to run lights we need people to run computers we need people to run different things on sunday to help us out we need people to help us park cars we need people to help us greet at doors you know we need we need people to do all kinds of stuff And the list just goes on and on. If you want to know what that list looks like and you want to maybe apply and say, I would love to help out and serve because I've got gifts and skills and abilities. And, you know, we as a church, and when we value those and we don't fight against each other's gifts, skills, and abilities, we become stronger together. But if you're not serving, I would encourage you, go to our website, mynewlifechurch.com. Go to the volunteer section, click on the button, fill out the little form, and tell us what you're interested in being a part of. Someone will get a hold of you. Because everybody, everybody has a gift to share. That's one of our core values. And we believe that the wise men, they, their worship was more effective when they did it together. And we believe that we are better together as well. So jump in. We need people to know how to, how to sing. I'm talking like, you know, really sing. Not, you think you know how to sing. If your grandmother is the only person who's ever told you that you sing really good, you might not qualify for the worship team. I'm just saying, grandmothers are, that's what they're supposed to do, all right? So if you play an instrument, and you really play an instrument, we need you, right? We need people. That's all I'm saying. Just having some fun with it. But we need people, all right? So jump in, and let's all work together on this. These guys, man, they had an enemy who was trying to kill, steal, and destroy their entire mission, they were warned against faith the entire time, but man, when they, got to, when they got to the finish line, right about the time when they were gonna find Jesus, here comes the enemy of all enemies, King Herod. What was in his heart? I believe what was in his heart was not only just to kill Jesus, but he probably would have killed the wise men for treason as well. Right at the very end, right when you think you're getting ready to finish, don't give up. Right when you think you're getting ready to finish, it's the time that you should put inside your heart, go, I'm going to finish stronger than when I started. I'm speaking to some of you right now that are like in your 40s, 40s and older. Finish this race of life stronger than where you started it. It's not time to back down. This is time to pick up the pace. This is not time just to step out. This is time to engage and to be a part of the solution. Let's finish stronger, more in love with Jesus than when we started, more full of the power of the Holy Spirit than when we started, more full of gentleness and grace than when we started, more full of the wisdom of God and sharing it with others than when we started, discipling others than when we started. Man, if you're in your 20s and your 30s, you start, just build the foundation of what it looks like, man, to be a Christ follower. Serve, get in there, lead. We'll let you lead, man. If you've got the gifts, skills, and abilities, we'll put you in leadership positions, 
But in all of us, let's have the heart. Finish stronger than what we started because there's a King Herod, there's an enemy standing there who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But these guys, they banded together like a band of brothers. They were unified in their heart with a common mission and a common goal. They weren't striving to fight against each other to see who could be the wisest of the wise men. And they let the Holy Spirit lead them because they fought for unity. Let's fight for unity. And let's let the Holy Spirit lead us. The wise men, when they got there, I already said this. When they got there, they walked through the doors. They were in awe. They bowed down. They knew they were in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They bowed down in worship. Today, our worship teams are going to come. It's going to be your opportunity to bow down in worship. I'm going to encourage you. Consider physically coming to these altars in the front of our auditoriums and bowing down in worship. Bow your heart before him. Pour yourself out to him. Give your life as the greatest gift that you have to give because it is the greatest gift you have to give to the king. Your life. This is my life. Everything that revolves around my life. That means all of my finances, all of my smarts, all of my skills and abilities, everything about me, my personality, everything about me. I'm laying it down before you. It is yours. I'm laying my life down as a gift. I bowed myself before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I've come to worship Jesus. If that's your heart, would you please stand with me and let's take time to worship him. Can we pray? Father, as we come into your presence, Lord, it's not about our expectations. Will the music be just right? Did the guy who preached the sermon, did he move me? Did I make it to church on time? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Are they going long? It's not about those things. It's not about our expectations because if it's about our expectations, we're going to miss Jesus. So Lord, we come and we quiet ourselves and we humble ourselves, we bow ourselves before you. Many will bow physically before you today like the wise men did. We're going to offer our life to you, God. That's the best gift we have. It's more valuable than gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's more valuable than the long journey, the treacherous journey, the dangerous journey. It's more valuable than all those things that the wise men did. It's just our life. The wise men, they, they gave the best they knew how to give to a toddler. But yet, Jesus, you were that toddler and you were still the king. Lord, we're thankful that we know you now based on your teaching based on the parables that you gave, based on the way you lived your life and that you died and that you rose again, that you are a powerful king. We come to worship you now, worshiping a powerful king who in your presence, how could we do anything but bow ourselves in humbled worship to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we come to worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.